Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back and I've brought a couple of friends with me. Gorgeous George and Goes, the OGs from MMA Junkie Radio and the Triple G Show, joining me for something a little bit new that we're going to call the Brit Pack United Nations. Sort of hands across the water, if you like. It's quite a big bit of water, the Atlantic Ocean, but there we go. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to do this on the regular, hopefully, looking ahead to what's coming up in the world of MMA and maybe chucking in a few a few little uh, talking points along the way. Guys, first off, how's it going over there? It's, uh, I mean, first off, are you ready for the World Cup? You qualify for the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Are you ready for your group stage exit at the hands of England in the, in the first round? That's what you need to know. <laughs> yeah, you got to remember, we have a couple of lifelines, though, because we were born here in the United States, but our mother's Peruvian, and our father comes from Mexican descent. So you can catch us on the U.S. side, and it's going to sting, but we could always kind of hang that, oh, yeah, but we're rooting for Peru over here. So we got a couple of lifelines, but, yeah, that's I, I mean, George, the U.S. has been kind of garbage. They're, they're not – they were better a couple World Cups ago where they, they could actually compete with some of the top teams, but this team is uh, really hot and cold. I, I don't see them making much noise. Simon, it's the equivalent of when somebody comes up from the championship to the Premier League and you were to ask those teams, hey, how do you feel? Can you make a run at the title? Let's be serious. No, you can't. You're just happy to be there, right? And it's great, and it's more TV money. And maybe they get into, you know, the top 10. That that would be great. Um, but for the most part, it, you know, with U.S., Mexico, Peru, you just want to make it to the quarterfinals, and then you want to have – you want to give some team a hell of a game. And I think you can board that plane and come back from Qatar if you go saying okay that was fun but nobody's saying okay i'm i'm gone for the next month you know i'm staying all the way through the final yeah we, we keep it real it's going to be weird because it's in november as well normally the world cup is in sort of june june july time because it's far too hot in qatar for it to be uh, held at that point in the year during and, thanksgiving uh, yeah it's it's around mm. the time of thanksgiving here in the united states and it'll stretch into the uh, the winter holiday you know, Christmas, and I think it'll end before New Year. But yeah, that that's. I mean, I, I I'm digging it. To tell you the truth, um, it's better for the players, but I'm digging it because it'll just give me, I, I guess, a chance to watch it at another time of the year. And um, what it's going to do to the domestic leagues is going to give them a little bit of a break that they've looked for in the past to see if it works. I don't know if you've heard about that. I know the English Premier League, a lot of the managers yeah, that come over, they right. go, hey, yeah. man, we're used to kind of like a three-week break. What happened? And and they stay busy in the English Premier League. But I think there's going to be some sort of a semblance of that. So I want to see how that pans out. Yeah, I mean, it's completely different with MMA, right? I know we've got – actually, for those uh, for those listening and watching this, we're recording this on Wednesday, April 20th, probably about – two and three quarter hours before the start of the PFL's first show mm-hmm. of 2022. They're kind of the anomaly, right? They actually have a season, which is a very unique thing in MMA. MMA is just a year round thing. And I mean, you guys have been covering this sport forever, right? You've been, you've been talking about the sport on the mic for, for as long as I can remember, that's for sure. And it is nonstop, isn't it? You get, you know, you might get the odd week off here and there. But how do you even go about planning your time off when you know you it's it's just a non-stop hamster wheel of uh, of work, isn't it? Covering this sport is mad. Yeah. Um, 
So I think the only thing I've ever noticed that's become a, a bit of a break is the UFC used to have their traditional year-end show to match New Year's weekend. And they got away from that. And now what they seem to do is something in the first or second week of December, maybe a fight night that follows it in the teens, like the 13th, the 19th, something. And then it's like, okay, the rest, of the, uh, everyone seems to go on a bit of a holiday for for uh, Christmas or whatever. And then through the New Year's, there's no more New Year's Eve show. And then if you'll notice, they start to come back in like that third week of January. So we do get three weeks to a month. If we're lucky, no Bellator, no UFC, but nothing compared to like like the comparisons we were using earlier, Simon, of a sports league that will have like a proper two or three months off. You know, even the leagues that run long, they'll have a proper two or three months off where you can really, really unplug, unwind. And and uh, so, yeah, PFL does do it that way. The athletes that we've covered have told me that they really like it. Um, and I, I guess I kind of like it, but I only like it because uh, it serves for our, our coverage of PFL. But, you know, the other ones are keeping us busy, but I wish they could all kind of do it. Now, that said. How many times did we go, yes, nothing, nothing, you know, okay, the pay-per-view's mm -hmm. done, cool, we got the week off. <laughs> and then on Thursday, I'll be telling goes, so, so, now what? You know, like, you know, you, you kind of, you get, you get a little spoiled and you kind of wish there was some fights going on somewhere, but, but uh, for the most, I think the, it's outweighed by good than bad to have weeks off, for sure. I think it's almost impossible to follow the sport at this point, because there's just, you're asking so much out of a person especially if they have a family, if they have a, a girlfriend or whatever, because now, you know, let's say you have a Bellator on a Friday night, right? You have a UFC on a Saturday, PFL during the week. Sometimes there's a, sometimes there's a Dana White's contender series or an ultimate fighter. That's a lot of time. Like when you think about it, you have your favorite team in the NFL, maybe you follow them. That's one game. And then if you just want to catch some of the other games, it's mostly Sunday, right? They do have their Thursday game, their Monday night game, but they don't ask that much of you. MMA asks a lot of you. And most MMA fans come from boxing, you know? So if you add in boxing and all that, it, it's so much. So really the sacrifice that I've had to do, Simon, is some of them I just don't watch live because I can sit through a whole card eight hours or I can just wait till the next day and just go go through all them little lulls that they have in that production and do it in about two, you know? So sometimes I have to do that, but it, it is very difficult. Yeah, and imagine that when most of the action is happening in the early hours of the morning. Mm. That's kind of, that's kind of what it's like for us, us poor sods over here in the UK. Just even though we've got a relatively sort of low-heat UFC fight night on Saturday night, the last two fight nights haven't been the most star-studded events uh, in the world. Obviously, we've got a big <laughs> summer coming up. We've got a big week of fights, though. I mean, I mentioned a minute ago, we've got PFL kicking off tonight. But we've got one championship on Friday. We've got a Bellator doubleheader coming up this weekend from Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know uh, Nolan King, Matt Erickson, uh, must be just absolutely loving it at this point, just getting <laughs> over there to Hawaii. They're, they're actually on the ground over there, aren't they, this week? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they're uh, they're covering it, and then they're covering Hawaii in their in their spare time. All the food pictures are killing me. 
My heart bleeds. <laughs> it absolutely does. But yeah, so we've got the we've got the Bellator double double header and we've got the UFC. And over here at Wembley Stadium, we've got Tyson Fury against Dillian White in front of what's oh, going wow. to be ninety four thousand people at Wembley Stadium. That is going to be an absolute barn burner of a fight. Uh Dillian White, by the way, former training partner of a certain Jimmy Manoa. Um mm. they used to they used to train together. So um but Dillian can really bang. That'll be a good fight. But of all the fights that we've got coming up this weekend, is there is is there one event or is there a particular fight that sort of leaps off the page to you and go, okay, we've got all these events coming up. I absolutely have to make sure I am sat in prime position in front of my TV for that one. What do you reckon, yeah. guys? I think it's one of the Bellator. So one of the Bellator cards is not that good. But I'm a sucker for Grand Prix, and especially that Bantamweight Grand Prix. I know it took a few hits, but uh, I, I'm just a sucker for it, and I like the matchups. So for me, that's what I'm looking forward to the most. The, the UFC cards, it's kind of hard to have a bad UFC card, but honestly, like it's just so different from, from one week to the next, You know the, the type of talent that you see. Uh, but in particular, I want to see that Bantamweight Grand Prix go off. And, and I'm, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm excited for PFL week one. What do you reckon, George? I like them all, you know, to be honest. Like, none of them suck. Let's get that clear. But I like them for different reasons. So, PFL, you know, the season format with the points totally remind me of EPL, for example. And uh, what I like about it is now that they're starting to have names like Rory McDonald and, and, and Anthony Pettis and Jeremy Stevens and a few more that have come over, along with the homegrown talent, uh, it, it makes it more exciting to relate to other fans that are going to be tweeting and watching and, you know, our audience that listens. So, but what's cool is those high-profile um, free agents that came over, they didn't work out too well last year. And, you know, some of them might be on the tail end of their career and they just, that was the place that would pay them. Who knows? But I I, I, I thought... Uh, I, I thought Anthony Pettis was very honest when he said, man, I was blown away. I wasn't prepared. I am preparing this this year for that season. You know, kind of almost sounded like uh, a fat cat coming out of college football that played his 11 games but wasn't used to a 17-game season, plus all the responsibilities and no frat parties. You know what I mean? Like, I'm all grown up now. So I want to see how some of those – some of those athletes now give it give it a go the second time around and how they uh, adjust. It's their first week. Who's not up for an opening weekend? Bellator, I agree with goes. It's, it'll be the um, the Grand Prix athletes that uh, that I'll be watching the most and most excited for. Arlene Blanco did earn her second shot at Cyborg. I, I think Cyborg all day, honestly, but I, I think Blanco's a, a good fighter for that weight class. And she earned it. She won three fights to to get there. And then lastly, UFC just finds a way to deliver one way or another. It, it's not like you said, Simon. There's it, it, there's not a lot of recognizable names. Uh, they're stretching it a little bit with that main event. But one thing you can do with UFC is live bet, and that's why I like to watch it from start to finish. Is because of that. Do you get much margin on live betting? I mean, I've worked in betting for a long time, sort of long before I even started covering MMA, and it's a two-horse race, right? A fight is a two-horse race, and unless you're going down the the round betting route or the method of victory, there's not a lot of juice in it for you, is there? I mean, there's, there's the margins are so... 
except for the recent pay-per-view where the odds were absolutely wild and all over the place. Uh, some huge underdogs in that in in on on that fight card. I mean, if you backed Aljamain Sterling on that on that particular evening, you'd be uh, you'd be buying the beers for the next few weeks, I would imagine. But do you find much value in MMA betting, George? Because I, I I sort of look at it, and unless the odds makers just get it plain wrong, based on what I'm looking at, it's I find it hard to pick legitimate value out of it. Okay, so. For example, I was on Sterling pretty much all week on our staff picks and even on our watch along, which I know you were watching because your name came up. We were like, man, poor Simon better be hanging in there. Pots of coffee, you know, because I know you were you were tuning in. But I, I remember saying, I'm stating it right now. I'm going with Aljo, right? Why? Because I just felt like, the, you know, the, the when you when you talk about that word value, what was taught to me by the great Joey Odessa, odds maker, extraordinaire in combat sports, he says, the value can only have value if the fighter can win. So you can't just say, like, um, so-and-so versus, you know, someone who never loses. I guess Habib, I guess. He's bound to lose. No one goes 30-0. His time is up. No, you have to find reasons why the other person can win. And if they do and match the, the discrepancy of the odds, then sure. Put something on it. Don't put the mortgage on it. The other guy's never lost. But put something on it because that spices things up, right? And I knew Sterling is just amazing on the ground. You know, he's really, really tough on the ground. He's heavy on the ground. And I tune in from once every once in a while for that Scraps podcast that he has. It's called The Weekly Scraps or something like that. And in it, he's very honest, even with his teammates, with himself, when he does something wrong. So I saw a mature cat. That was going to see, he, he came out of the gate too quick in, in the first fight. He started to tire, throw in the stuff that he said about he didn't properly, you know, um, nourish himself that day or whatever, which, you know, I wasn't sure about the excuse or not. And I just felt like, you know what, this guy only needs to win three of the five. He could get knocked out because Jan's legit. I get it. But he ain't going to get submitted. But what if he can win three of those and hang in there, which is kind of what he did if you think about it. We might have something, you know. Jan has been tough to stop. He's been tough to take down. But I thought if anyone can do it and anyone can learn from the mistakes, it was Aljamain Sterling. I'm glad that it played out kind of how I envisioned it. Now, live betting, the nice thing about it is within about a minute, a lot of your secrets come out. Did you really get that road work in? You know what I mean? Did you really, really work on that wrestling or that takedown defense or whatever? You know, a lot of fighters just tend to break after a round or whatever and and that's revealed to us in the first minute to first round and what you're hoping for is uh that whoever whoever is the big favorite maybe stumbles early on and brings these odds down a little bit more to uh like some sort of a pick them right or those traditional cardio kings maybe they they nicked that first round that they usually lose, and now you think, oh, they only got to win one of the next two, but my guy's got a lot of win left. That guy's already tiring, so you're just kind of watching for that type of stuff. So what's your what's your biggest win on uh, on MMA, guys? Ever? Well, yeah. I mean, if, if, uh, is, if you had to parlay would, them up with other other sporting events and sort of, it's a parlay of, that I could only talk to you guys about off the air, <laughs> but it was a twelve. <laughs> 12 and 0 night, I believe, uh, UFC 139, the one with Hendo and Shogun. I was right. there in person. Many witnesses wow. uh, know about the undefeated night because 
I, I, I didn't necessarily talk about the parlay or parlays, but I was telling them who I had. And then when they realized, holy cow, you're seven and oh, wow, you're eight and oh, you know, and we got to the eventual Hendo and, and Shogun, which was close. Um, but but that one came in as well. So that, that, that one clearly was my biggest one. I'd say mine was somewhere in the 700 range, but it was a parlay. And I remember it had to do with um, UFC 199. Oh, you know what's another one goes? I can't remember if you cashed in, but it was the one where Bigfoot beat Overeem and Joey Varner was guest hosting for a while. And oh, the other Jason playing? Ford, we all did that five team parlay that had uh, Aldo beating Edgar. And we actually, some of us hedged on that one. And then the um, Noguera beat Rashad. Yeah, that was, that was one that was like literally 25 bucks paid 5,000 or 50 bucks paid 5,000. Like it was all kinds of long shots. And uh, a lot of us hit, hit, hit that. But that still doesn't beat out my, my UFC 139 card. But the theme of that one was every fight had a Brazilian in it on the main card, right? So I think mm -hmm. Joey said, let's just do all Brazilians. And it was 4-0 going into Edgar Aldo. And so you had that decision to make. Do you hedge right now and bet the other way? That way you're guaranteed something? Or are you walking away with roughly, it was about 5,000 something, right, George? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and like Edgar that. was like a good plus 300 dog or something like that. So, you know, we were risking 50. So all we were saying was like, well, let's put like 300 on Edgar. That way, if that hits, that'll hit for 900, cancel the 50. You still take home 850, have something to show for it. And if we lose that, then, oh, okay, we lost 300 from the 5,000. Like, we were trying to balance that that thing out a little bit. But and, that was at uh, the arena. With yeah, we were at the arena. And you know how it is when, when 15,000 people are all trying to suck up the same bandwidth. Sometimes yeah. you're like, come on already. The bet won't go through. And you hear the walkout music and all that. So we were able to... We were able to um, get, you know, hedge some of it, but everybody still made a great payday. It's mad. You talk about everyone jumping on the Wi-Fi. That's UFC London every time. The like the media Wi-Fi always dies. Even though really? it's the O2 Arena, which is a O2 is a big telecommunications company in the UK. Wi-Fi in there is absolutely abysmal, and uh, you end up on the public Wi-Fi with fifteen thousand other people. Who are live streaming or doing whatever and you're trying to file your copy it's not fun it's not fun have but, you ever seen when a media member gives it away it's usually when a fight falls off and they go here's the the actual card so they take a picture of it but at the top it'll say like ufc one uh, password for media or whatever and they give it to the end the entire arena That's it happens too. it happens yeah yeah it's uh yeah, Wi-Fi. I don't care. I don't care how good the viewing angle is. I don't, you know, the fights can be so-so. Just give me good Wi-Fi. I don't care about anything. If I'm in the building, just make the Wi-Fi work, and then I'm mm -hmm. a happy man. But UFC London, is, or, UFC London was absolutely nuts, by the way. Absolutely nuts. And I've covered a lot of shows live, and UFC London, the recent one, is probably in my top three, top three or four best events I've ever attended in oh, MMA. Wow. I think UFC 189 might still be my number one, uh, which is my first ever Vegas show. Um, I covered events in the UK, but I'd never even been to the States before. Um, flew over to, to Vegas, 
UFC 189, McGregor versus Mendez, uh, Sinead O'Connor singing Conor McGregor to the ring. A- absolute bedlam. Um, that might have been number one. Uh, UFC 199 was a special one. Uh, I was pretty much the only British journalist in the building when Bisbing won the title, so that was a special one. Um, and But UFC London, honestly, for like a sheer build, I wasn't at that famous Dublin event, the uh, Diego Brandau, Conor McGregor, one mm-hmm. where that, that grew into a complete crescendo as well. It felt a bit like that, although I wasn't in the arena for that one. Everyone who was there that I spoke to said it had a similar feel, but it was a bigger crowd in London. And uh, the atmosphere in that building was absolutely nuts. I mean, when Molly landed the elbow, the place just went absolutely ballistic. But Mo Mikhaev, first fight of the night. This is a 15,000-seater mm. arena. I reckon there were about nine or 10,000 people in there for the first fight of the night. And they, mm. they took the roof off for him. It was a, I don't know how it came across on TV, but it looked inc- – I mean, it, from cage side, it was, it, was, it was a very, very special night. Check this out. I actually happen to have my favorite one, my press pass right here. Pride. Oh wow. That was Thomas my favorite. Mac. One. Yeah. Is that is that building still up, the Thomas and Mac? Are they still using that for stuff now, or is it something else? No, they still have it. I mean, primarily UNLV basketball. That, that's where I went, you know, uh, UNLV. Um, it's Primarily used for basketball and concerts and boxing, but uh, it used to be boxing yeah. when I was growing up. It used to be world title fights from the Thomas and Mack Center in Vegas. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, it it uh, kind of became a go-to spot after Caesar's Palace got rid of their outdoor arena. But for a while, it was the Caesar's Palace outdoor arena, which was a thing of beauty, man. Because you know we have wind. We get the monsoons from time to time, but luckily a lot of the time they'll sweep through and they'll sweep it and then they're out and a hot Vegas night. Perfect for boxing. Now the boxers might think differently. You know what I mean? But they, they got accustomed to it and it was a, it it went on for a long time. A lot of the greats from the eighties did it specifically. There was one incident with the famous fan man, the guy that descended from Mm -hmm. heavens and paused, paused the fight night. But other than that, uh, you know, the, it, it's very historical. It's no longer there. Goes and I actually saw WrestleMania there as well. Wow, yeah. wow, yeah. No, it's not one I've. It's not one I've ever been to. I mean, I've done the MGM Grand. I've never done an event at Mandalay Bay. They don't seem to do them there anymore. They've got the they've got the T-Mobile deal now, so everything is there. But um, yeah, the first the first Vegas show I did was probably the best. That was at MGM Grand. I kind of missed the MGM Grand. I, I like I like it there. I like the fact that you come out of the arena and you're straight in the middle of the casino again. And uh, mm-hmm. the the atmosphere after that after that McGregor fight was absolutely insane. But I want to uh, take this opportunity to bust your balls, Simon, a little bit. Oh, go for it! Yeah, go your on. own audience. If they did have a fight night at the Mandalay Bay, would you really go? Because you haven't seemed to pay us much of a visit when we were at the Mandalay Bay. That's the home of MMA Junkie Radio for 11 years. And I, how many times would I? I want, you should have been there at least 20 times over the last <laughs> 10 years that we've known you. And I, 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 I barely even see you when you're in Vegas. You, you lose my number. It's like a Phil yeah. Collins song. <laughs> um, all right. Okay. In please of mitigate, I did not bring my lawyer with me. So obviously this is all, this is all off the record, but yeah, no, I've, I think I've done Vegas 10 or 12 <laughs> times over the course of my career. So 20 visits might have been a bit of a stretch. Twice a week, I suppose, I suppose it could have been done. 
But um, 99% of the time when I've been over there, I've been over there as a team of one. You know, you're used to being, I, I know I've worked with Junkie for a little bit, but you're used to working with Junkie and the massive staff that you have there. You know, we're talking about a dozen or so staffers. I go to these events or have been over the course of my career. One guy editing or shooting video, editing video, recording podcasts, interviewing, writing for print, writing for websites, all of it to start with on a crappy Chromebook, which is what all the, which, which was all I was given to start with a Chromebook. And I was shooting video on an iPod and editing it on iMovie on an iPod. That's how I started out first. When I, when I, uh, cover biz being winning the title we had the press conference that famous press conference with him and Rockhole going back and forth after the fight i've actually got on my achieve, bookshelf believe and all that sorry is that the achieve believe conceive or something like that? that was the pre-fight the post-fight okay. him and he was just giving it to Rockhold in the press conference afterwards um okay. but um yeah i've actually got the uh like the banner that goes on uh, on the front of the podium actually on my bookshelf over there from that event. Someone, one of the one of the PR girls took it down and said, you need to take that back with you. But after the press conference, they led Bisbing out of a side door into what was like a service area where they sort of bring up the, uh, like the drinks trucks and the catering trucks and all of that. And he sort of waved at me and sort of ushered me backstage and said, let's do an interview. Let's do an interview. And all I had is my iPod and, uh, so I'm like, okay, you stand still. I'll, I'll, I'll interview you like this. He said, no, 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 you're not doing that. Audi, called Audi Attar, his manager, who's doing the whole Steven Spielberg with the camera, doing all this with the iPod. And I had to, I, I was stood in shot with him, interviewing him. He had all his family around him. He had Jason Prillo heckling him from the side. And it was a really cool moment. And, uh, nice. but yeah, I had no kit whatsoever. It's sort of, I was just flying by the seat of my pants back then. But, uh, but yeah, as well. Flying solo, George. So next time I'm over, which is going to be this summer for International Fight Week, um, I will absolutely come and do Junkie Radio with you. If you're in the studio again, I know you, you aren't you aren't back in there at the moment, but if you're back in there and I'm over, let's do it. I'm absolutely up for that. So uh, as you were talking, I got a text from Mandalay Bay, the sports book, and they posted odds. Will <laughs> Simon Head be there this summer? As he says so. Plus a thousand, so they don't have it's to a lock. It's a lock. Put your mortgage on it. It's a lock. But, that, <laughs> but um, yeah, now you know, I love I love talking fights with you guys. That's why we're doing this, right? So, but uh, yeah, I'd never had never had the uh, it sounds really bad to say I didn't have the time, but honestly, I did not have the time <laughs> to come over and do it at the time. But yeah, I, I, it's something I would love to do. It's and trust me, you're not the only guy, Sabby. Oh, sorry, Sabby, Abby Supan. I'm gonna give it to yeah. him as well, man. Yeah. I might, he's coming get, over I might in the have a couple Hawaiians jump him outside of Extreme Couture or something, but <laughs> he's been over a few times still. Nothing. Yeah, well, he's actually he's coming over to Vegas with me this summer. We're staying, we're actually rooming together on 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 the uh, on the trip. So uh, I'll I'll grab him by his ear and drag him along with me. Even so old Chill Sonnen, we only got him to stop at the studio one time, but he would at least at least five six times he's gone by, knocked on the window and just waved, and I'm like, okay, I'll take that. And he just kind of goes on and does about goes about his business. I try and pull him in, but he's a uh, you know a big star, or whatever. But finally, we did get him in studio once. Besides me, obviously, who's the one guest that you've always wanted to have on that you haven't been able to sort of snag yet? 
not because we haven't tried, but Anderson Silva. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, which is weird because we've had him in the studio, just not on the show, but Nick Diaz. No, he's been on the show. No, in no, our... not in the studio. Oh, not in studio. Yeah, he hasn't no. been in studio, but he has been on the show. Uh, we used to get him to end every single spot he did with us by, by saying, hey, I ain't no bitch. That was the thing. <laughs> hey, Nick, any words on the way out? Yeah, I just want to say, man, I ain't no bitch. And he laughed. He didn't like it for a while. He was like, don't make me say that. And I'm like, well, it's kind of your thing. And then he'd always wind up saying it anyway. But yeah, Anderson Silva, uh, I want to explain. We could probably get him on. It's just um, once we got in that studio, we really wanted to get him in studio. So all those times that we put it, probably could have done something on the phone with the translator, without whatever, we just didn't. And um, so he's kind of been our unicorn. Now, that said, since we've been out of the studio consistently for the last few years, you got your Volkanovskis of the world, the, the young the young fighters that have kind of come through, and now they're they're at the top of the sport. Zhang Wei Li, you know, a few others. Uh, we have we have a little bit of catching up to do with some of them. Yeah, it's, is the plan to be back in the studio every now and again moving forward? I know, obviously, the world has changed, right? And as a result, everybody is a lot more geared up for recording this sort of stuff remotely, right? We're doing that right now, so the need to do it isn't quite as uh, as, as great as maybe it was, but. Is that still the goal to sort of do some, even if it's like showpiece kind of show, sort of temp, temp pole events, if you like, from uh, from Mandalay Bay? Yeah, I think that sort of stuff can work. It's just like, like you said, the world has changed and it's so much harder to get people to do that stuff. And then on our side, um, the amount of equipment and stuff that needs to be transported over there, set up, then you got to take away some of uh, Kenny's time, right, to do it when it can just be done this way, you know? So yeah, it's kind of difficult, but there'll be the, there'll be these certain times where I think it makes sense and we'll probably do it that way. Back in the day, it was exclusively ours. So no one else went in there aside from the yearly Super Bowl invasion or the Breeders' Cup, maybe March Madness. They'd give us plenty of time and notice so we could kind of put our stuff away. But now there's a bunch of shows that rotate. So it's more of a... um, it's more of a uh, bland background that can be filled in by people bringing in and decorating it or filling it out however they want. Whereas before it was a s- strong MMA presence, strong MMA junkie presence. So it, it'll no longer be like those days. We have access to it, but now we have to put in like a little bit of a formal request Tuesday between four and six. Okay. You know, but it wasn't like before where 10 PM, if, if Ed Soros were to say, Hey, I got you, Anderson Silva. We'll meet you at the studio at 11 p.m. All we had to do was go down there, flip a switch. It was on. Now it's like Ghost said, lugging stuff, tweaking stuff, calibrating stuff, because each show is different. You got satellite radio. You got um, terrestrial radio. You got podcasts. And, and then everything that keeps innovating with, with video technology, it's just a lot of plugging and playing and this and that and you know, you, you can't just do it. Uh, everyone's got to have their own mixer. It, it's just different now. Yeah. Yeah. And while we're on the topic of Vegas and events and things happening, before before we sort of go on and talk about the weekend fights and sort of wrap things up, I want to, I know you mentioned it on one of your shows previously. I want to get your views on the fact Formula One is coming to Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. This is a big deal. 
you know, the the Formula One has been huge in Europe forever, right? It's maybe not so big in, in the States. You know, they've had races like Long Beach used to host races. They actually hosted a Formula One Grand Prix in the Caesars car park. Caesars Palace car park is one of the worst places they could ever have held a race. It was like a little <laughs> go-kart track and the race really wasn't very good. And it didn't really have the, the pizzazz that a Las Vegas race should have. This Las Vegas race is going to be mad. They're going to completely resurface the strip. They're going to take all the lumps and bumps and manhole covers and everything. They're going to completely smooth it out. And they're going to race all the way down the strip. It's going to be quite the scene. And the amount of people that are going to fly in for this is going to be absolutely nuts. And I know like, with Drive to Survive, the documentary that I told you guys about months ago, or maybe even a year or two ago, the sport has just completely exploded stateside in popularity. I think so many people are getting switched onto it now. What is the buzz like for Formula One stateside and in Vegas, especially now you've got this race coming up? Next November, I think. It is. I, I saw a press release uh, about three weeks ago, maybe a month. And when they showed us what it would look like and what streets it would be at, a lot of that was getting some retweets. A lot of it was like in your local news, um, television and print, your Las Vegas Weekly. So we had kind of like an initial burst, similar to like maybe um, when a city's announced as the next host of a World Cup or Olympics. People talk about it for a while and then. It just dies out in that news cycle. But I agree with you. It's gotten bigger. More people talk about it. More people that I know talk, talk about it that I didn't even know were kind of peeking at it. The time difference hurts it a little bit, but still, it has picked up a lot of traction. It's very similar bringing it back to football, Simon, because I was telling Goes prior to us getting knocked out and having to wear this Atletico Madrid scarf in honor of Danny Segura, um, we had Champions League on CBS, like big CBS. None of those, uh, you know, your general hospitals or, or One Life to Live or all, you know, all these like 50 year long soap operas, no game shows, nothing. Champions League was on CBS. That was huge. That told me, along with English Premier League on, on, uh, on Channel 4, which is NBC, those are our big stations, CBS, NBC, ABC, and Fox, that a lot of sports are headed in a new direction. And to compare, for example, baseball's been on cable TV. Uh, the World Series used to be on one of those big networks, and now it's been like on TBS or whatever. Same with the NHL. So there's been a little bit of a shift, you know, and I, I think you could throw Formula One as a, as a sport that's definitely moving up, and I can definitely say that I think golf is starting to slowly fade out. You know, it, it seems like when they do their um, analytics – the average age is is definitely getting older for the ones I heard were golf and baseball. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's been a little bit of a buzz. We actually just had an interview with AJ McKee and he was, I saw that at first we thought he was joking, but it seems like he's taking it kind of serious. He wants to actually try and do that at some point. He bought himself a little simulator and everything. So uh, actually I wanted to ask you, Simon, if you know, mm. cause he just kind of throws it out. I mean, he's a millionaire now, right? So this is chump change for him, but, how much would a, a Formula One simulator cost? I feel like that would cost a lot of money. A Formula One simulator would cost a lot of money. If you want to actually be a race driver, you would need, well, AJ would need to win a few more Grand Prix. Let's put it that way. Like Grand Prix in terms of fighting Grand Prix to, mm -hmm. to load up the bank account. It is not, it is not a cheap sport to get into. 
Um, you look on, even in Formula One, right, where you would assume that the best of the best are going to be on the grid. And at the front of the grid, it is, right? The guys who are in the top 10, top 12 cars are the best race drivers on the planet, bar none. They are the best because it is the pinnacle of the sport. They're like fighter pilots on wheels, these guys. The guys towards the back of the grid in the teams that perhaps aren't as well funded, they tend to have one driver who's talented, like super talented, and the second driver is what is often known in the sport as a pay driver. And that's someone who has come up and they have a lot of sponsorship money attached to them. Um, or, I mean, there's a there's a team, the Aston Martin team. One of the, It's owned by a guy called Lawrence Stroll, who brought, um, I think he brought like Ralph Lauren uh, mm-hmm. into Canada. And uh, he, he's, he's a multimillionaire or maybe even a billionaire. His son is, is, is the second driver in that team. He's talented. He's very good. But the guy's driving alongside is a four-time world champion, right? So that's that's what we're dealing with. And even the Red Bull team, uh, you've got Max Verstappen, who is the current world champion. He's the son of a former Formula One driver. So he got his leg up early. Um, and his teammate is a guy called Sergio Perez, who got his break because he got a load of money. He's Mexican. He got a load of money. I'm trying to think. He's a really famous Mexican millionaire or billionaire. Carlos um, Slim? That's the guy. That's the guy. He bankrolled him um, mm. to get into the sport. And he started out driving at one of the one of the lower lower end teams as a pay driver. Um, and but he's turned out to be very, very good. And once you're in, then your talent proves yourself. And then he's been able to get himself better, better drives, and now he's He's with arguably the best team or the second best team on the grid. So, yeah, it's not a cheap sport to get into. And like, give you an idea, there's a one of the other sports I'm massively into is MotoGP, which is effectively mm-hmm. Formula One on motorbikes. Right? These these things are rocket ships. And there's a guy who his name is Valentino Rossi. I think he's won like nine world championships. He's genuinely known as the the goat of motorcycle racing. He retired at the end of this past season. He has always wanted to move across into four-wheeled racing. He does he does rallying and rally cross racing. And him and Lewis Hamilton, is a, if you look on YouTube, you probably find it. Him and Lewis Hamilton basically swapped. So he jumped in Lewis Hamilton's F1 car. Lewis Hamilton jumped on his MotoGP bike. And they went around Silverstone and they sort of showed each other the ropes. Rossi's that talented that he could potentially be, if not a Formula 1 driver, then pretty close to one. Um, he tests... He did a Formula One test for Ferrari when Michael Schumacher was at his peak. And he was only about a second or so slower than Schumacher, having just got in the car, which is mad. So, But to get into Formula One and be at the top of the sport, you need a lot of money, a lot of talent, and absolutely no fear whatsoever because those guys are absolutely crazy. I mean, anyone who does motor racing is slightly, slightly unhinged, aren't they? But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a crazy sport. So... AJ might be able to get himself into sort of sports car racing or, you know, maybe crowbar himself into something else, but there's no chance of him getting into Formula One. I don't want to to crush his dreams. No chance? He has zero chance of Formula One. The only way he's getting into Formula One is if he sponsors a team. That's it. And he doesn't have enough money to sponsor a team. I'll make you a a deal, Simon, Mm -hmm. right? It's very unfair because it's more in my favor. But uh, (laughs) 
you recommended Drive to Survive. And I remember the day you said it, I did watch the first episode. I liked it, and I but I thought it was a big commitment. It scared me off. I'll go back and watch it if you watch this ridiculous series that I think you might like. Go on. It was in the U.S. It's called Cart Life. And it only had one season, but it's kids that were trying to prepare to become these kind of drivers. So they go to all these different races and their families take them and they have their own little teams. And it's, it's I actually watched it. I actually liked it. It's only one season. I'll watch it. I'll watch it. I'll tell you something I watched. Um, I watched it last night. I binge watched it. It's on Sky Documentaries. It was called The Man Who Bought Cricket. I tweeted about it, actually. It's on my, it's on my timeline. You might have remembered the stories. A, 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 Texas, a Texan billionaire called Sir Alan Stanford. Um, and he, he, was a, he was a billionaire. And he basically landed a helicopter outside Lord's Cricket Ground. The cricket is one of the stuffiest uh, old school uh, establishment kind of sports in the country, in, in, in the UK. It's a great sport, but lots of tradition. He pitches up in a helicopter and says, let's play a one game of 2020 cricket, which is a, the shortened version of the game that can be, can actually take place in one day. Test cricket can take five days and you can have a draw, right? The 2020 cricket is one day. And they wanted to play England. He wanted England to play against what he called the the Stamford All Stars, which were the best players from the West Indies, you know, from the Caribbean, which is where he was living at the time. And the winning team would get twenty million US dollars, and uh, it was the biggest single prize for a team sport at the time. And uh, the whole thing was very vulgar to the whole uh, the cricket establishment. But while all this was getting put together. He was being investigated by the SEC and the FBI and all of this was going on in the background. Apparently he was involved in this massive Ponzi scheme and uh, that generated all of this money. And uh, he got called Bitcoin. <laughs> no, this is long before, long before Bitcoin. Oh. But he got, he, he, he got, he got put away for like 110 years or something. Jeez. Um, yeah. He ain't coming out. Yeah. Um, but he's, it is an incredible story. And the documentary was, it was, it was over three one hour episodes. And I just sat and watched them back to back last night. And it was amazing. So if you want something a little bit different, that's, that's worth checking out. But um, yeah, I do like a sports documentary. So I'll definitely check out Cart Life. What, what, what streaming service is it on? It was on True TV out here. Okay. But I'll look it up for you and see where I'm you are. Careful, you two. Are you two about to share Netflix passwords? We're not doing that now. I don't want to see his view. I don't want to see his watch history. I don't. <laughs> no, I kid because I don't know if you guys heard the Netflix stock dropped one hundred and thirty dollars just in one day. Their earnings report came out, and it was poor. Um, I mean, they're still obviously a, a juggernaut, but they lost two hundred uh, twenty million, two hundred million something subscribers, and then they're cracking down on this whole password share thing, and and then of course you got Elon Musk tweeting stuff about it, but. That is like unheard of for a stock like that. You got your Apples, IBMs, you know, American Airlines, Exxon, the traditional powerhouses that just that, that doesn't happen. Netflix is to be included there, and now they um they it it, it was a big big drop, and and that a lot of that comes from my good friend 
uh, Dave Manley, who was explaining that to me today. And uh, I had seen some of those headlines going out. So um, are any of the ones you guys talking about on Netflix? I mean, it's still around, guys. Don't don't worry. It's not like they're closing up shop. But Drive to Survivors. Drive to Survivors on Netflix. There's four seasons of it. Um, and I can't recommend it highly enough. It's called Formula I mean, is One. Is there a right? good hooligan documentary that's come out in the last few years? I've already watched uh, Football Soldier, Football Factory. Not, um, not really. Cam. Um, I think there was wasn't there this badass dude named Cam or something like that from Arsenal. Yeah, I don't know. They're, they're, uh, I'm trying to think of the films. There was a film called ID. That was another hooligan film. Green Street ID. was another one. Yeah, um, Green Street. But yeah, they were never really my bag. I didn't really watch all that sort of stuff. I, no, I used to, no, no. You're not, you're not one of the top boys over at Gills FC or nothing like that. Nah, nah, I'm 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 very well behaved at football. I'm very oh, well right. behaved. <laughs> Same now, but I, I will say this: there is one on Netflix called Top Boy. It's not about hooliganism. No, it's not. I've I've heard about that though. It's good. I like to, I like two shows. Um, I'm, I'm I'm in two shows. I like it. Yeah, definitely, definitely check out Drive to Survive. I can't recommend that highly enough. But um, just looking at the time, we spoke at the beginning of this that we'll try and keep it under an hour if we can. But before we before we wrap up, let's let's chuck a few uh, let's chuck a few predictions in, or a few. They don't necessarily have to be result based predictions. If you've got other sort of crackpot theories about what you're going to see in the rest of the week, then feel free to chuck them my way. So we've got. Are you guys going to be across this one championship show on Friday? I know you quite often reference it on 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 the radio. I mean, there's one fight on that card that leap, leaps out, which is uh, Jared Brooks. The monkey god, he's actually in action this week, and he's up against a really talented fighter in uh, Bokan Massignani, who is undefeated. And if you check out his last fight, it was a it was a stunning head kick knockout win. He's unbeaten. He's from South Africa. Um, that's a big fight. If Brooks wins that, he's probably going to get a title shot. So that's one that's worth checking out. That'll be pretty early for you guys, I would imagine. Um, yeah, because it's kind of lunchtime. My time is when they kick off. So you're eight hours behind me so i would imagine you're going to be just about putting your first coffee on for the day by the time uh jared fights because he'll be <laughs> towards the end towards the end of the card so well that you know we actually uh we called a card in japan one time for a world series of fighting uh, global and jared brooks was on that card and i remember because we were in our tiny little rooms and i could hear all this noise in the hallway and i go out and he's just hitting mitts in the hallway and man, he had a big mouth then, and that mouth has gotten even bigger now. Um, but he he delivered, and you know that fight was at one fifteen back then, so he he's a small right cat. But he's a good fighter. I think he's just kind of his own worst enemy sometimes. But I would I would tune in for that. Not one championship app makes it so easy, you know, on your phone. So definitely, I would check that out. Yeah, and yeah, I would echo what goes as well. Yeah, for that reason alone, just because we called this fight at World Series Fighting Global in 2016, um, definitely tune in. One championship, you know, it's hot and cold. Sometimes when they load up the card, we're in. The the, the app is so easy. You just roll over at 5 a.m. And, and turn it on, and it's a great picture. And we consider Michael Chavello a friend. He lived here for about 10 years. We used to play uh, a trivia night with him on Tuesdays over at the Mulligan's Irish Bar, and so that was a blast. Um, but this one's probably just, like you said, top-heavy main event. Probably tune in for that. Arguably, that is the best strawweight male fighter on the planet. 
uh, Brooks's, and uh, he's got great wrestling, and he can crack. Um, so it hasn't surprised me one bit that you know he can hold his own at at one twenty five. But we're literally talking about a guy that we saw compete at at one fifteen. That's amazing. I was one fifteen uh, at my five five year fifth year birthday. That's the last time I was one fifteen. But anyway, um. I can't kid you, you know, like that would be it. And then it'll be PFL for me. Then there, both Bellators, but top heavy Bellators. I want to see that Grand Prix. I want to see Cyborg. Um, Kyoji Horiguchi versus Patchy Mix. That's going to be awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Bantamweight is, I, I keep preventing myself from saying it's my favorite division, but I think I've just come to the realization it is because it's so dope. Not just at Bellator, the UFC's got some great Bantamweights. And... A long time ago, I remember a guy named uh, Reed Kuhn. Kuhn, he did the fight nomics, right? Goes book. Reed mm -hmm. Kuhn, yeah. and he said one thing that stood out to him was bantamweights finish fights at a higher rate when it comes to TKOs than featherweights. You know, you looked at the the, the graph and it went like this. Obviously, the heavyweights they're going to end mostly in KOs compared to the, some of the lightweight classes, but there was a little movement that little rare movement of, of the 35ers you know what i mean that they just maybe we we were blessed with the time that we had heavy some heavy-handed bantamweights but um i've always cheered for him man even going all the way back to the great miguel torres and you know dominic cruz and you know all the different eras that we're in so many of them like cruz and edgar and i'm not even sure if edgar's done but although they've all finished up as bantamweights and then you got Jan and Sterling, a great rivalry. And then you got all those veterans like Marias, who just retired, and uh, Jimmy Rivera started off 20 and one, I think, in his career. Yeah. A Sun Sal, some he's been punching the clock for a long time. So I love that division and I love that Bellator got around to it. So I'm hooked on that for sure. I love their Grand Prix. I love the fact they still do them. And I think the Bantamweight division is, is the best division for it right now. They've got such a depth of talent. And I think. The two quarterfinals that effectively are that, that, that we're going to get at Bellator 279. I think the two winners, because they're on opposite sides of the bracket, I think those two winners will eventually meet in the final. I really do. I think looking at the way it's set up, and if I was picking it, I'd probably say it'd be Horaguchi versus Raytheon Stotts. I think I, I really like Stotts in this in this fight against, uh, crikey, against the Spaniard. Archuleta, yeah. yeah. Um, it's Archuleta's good everywhere, but Stotts to me just has that little bit extra. And the way he handled Magomed Magomedov really impressed me because I've seen a lot of Magomed Magomedov. Uh, and for him to do what he did, I knew he would have the striking edge, but for him to handle him in the wrestling department was super impressive. I think he's the man to beat in this tournament, um, even over Horaguchi, possibly. So, um, Horaguchi's got a point to prove, so that's going to be a that's going to be a really interesting one because Patchy Mix is no slouch. Um, you know, he's he's legit. So who's your money on for the tournament, guys? I like Stotts. I'm probably going to still lean Horiguchi. Remember, Stotts is out here in Vegas now mm. because at the time Pettis was in the tournament and they didn't want them together in the same place. But uh, I like Stotts. I think I'm going to go Horiguchi, though. What about you, George? I'm going to go with Stotts. Um, I think the wrestlers are built for these quick turnaround Grand Prix. Uh, and I like where his mindset is at. Like, if you ask him a 
few months ago where you're like, hey, have you beat Mix? Are you next? And he was taking things in stride. And those those fighters that are like so relaxed, so composed, so calm, um, are the ones that appear to be the most dangerous. His only loss, I believe, is at Victory Fighting Championships. I don't know if you guys recall the four-sided cages. Um, Ryan Starter used to be the promoter, and he got caught by a spinning back elbow, if I'm not mistaken. But other than that, he's handled himself great. I think he's an, uh, a great athletic phenom. And I can't say enough about Horiaguchi. I, I could see him going far as well. That would be my backup choice. I have argued that Horiaguchi is the greatest mixed martial artist to come out of Japan. Not the most famous, not the most influential, not the one that carries the most weight or godfather, because all respect to Sakuraba and, and many of the others that, 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 that came before him. But just successes alone, He's amazing. He's won Grand Prix titles. Um, you know, they've done the whole Rise in Bellator back and forth. Uh, eight and one, Simon Head. Eight and one in the UFC. You can't even go, well, what if he was, what if he were to go to the UFC? He only lost to DJ. And DJ yep. is, you know, one of the goats of the uh, of the sport. So that that to me just tells that, you know, I, I, I close my case. I just think Horiguchi is the best Japanese mixed martial artist ever. And when he fought DJ, he was still a kid. You know, he yeah. was still relatively young in the sport. You know, you why the UFC uh, didn't keep him? Uh, I consider that a mistake. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he's a he's a standard bearer for 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 Japan as well. You know, he would have been he would have opened some doors. You know, they'd have had a star on their hands, just like they've got with Zhang Wei Li. He could have done a similar job in Japan. You mentioned that one loss from Patchy Mix, Marab Dvalishvili was the guy who knocked him out. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, uh, for. Uh, I think it was a uh, ring of combat. Was it ring of combat? Oh, was it? Okay. I got it wrong. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. I know ring of combat it was this thing at victory fighting championship for a long time, but yeah, yeah, it was a spinning. He had back. one fight in between. Yeah. There was a okay, load of, I'm just happened. looking at his record. He had a whole load of fights for victory FC. And then in the middle of them, he had a fight for ring of combat and he got 15 second knockout spinning back fist. Yeah. And he's no, he, as we, as we can see, he's no slouch. A lot of people are talking about possible Jan versus Davalish really now. So, um, that's that. Those those are the two guys that, that I like. But but if if I'm picking one, it starts. Yeah, and let's before we before we wrap up, let's just quickly uh, nail our colours to the mask for this main event. Chris Cyborg, Arlene Blenko. Cyborg's probably pretty much an unbackable favourite in this. But the thing I find really interesting was for everything we've seen from Chris Cyborg in her her career and the way she's gone about her business in her career, she changed it up completely against Arlene Blenko. And submitted her, went for the submission route. And we'd not seen that before. I think that might have been a first career submission. Arlene Blenko, her background is striking, it is boxing. Do you think Chris is going to go back to the grappling again, or are we going to see we're going to see them going toe-to-toe a little bit more? Maybe, you know, we've seen Cyborg has been rocked and beaten on her feet by by Amanda Nunes. Is she being just a little bit more savvy and a little bit more smart? Um, these days, now she's in Bellator. What do you think? Or do you think she'll just go in there back to the old Berserker style and look to take her out quickly? I think Berserker. I think she's got a little bit of a chip on her shoulder with all this Kayla Harrison talk. I think Mm -hmm. she sees an opportunity with Amanda Nunes finally getting a loss to kind of just reinvent that mystique, that cyborg mystique that's been somewhat missing since that Amanda Nunes loss. Uh, I think she's out to prove a point this time. Yeah, now she has become more um, of a student, like not just going out there and, you know, unloading the way she used to, but she still can do that from time to time. But yeah, 
I was goes took the words out of my mouth between Nunes's loss, which is what I was going to center my answer around. But yeah, also adding in all the publicity Kayla Harrison's gotten. Unfortunately, people will look at Kayla like, well, two-time Olympic gold medalist. You know, she's the next thing. And Amanda Nunes, even though she lost to Juliana Pena, I think there's a lot of people still saying that wasn't the real Amanda. So I think Cyborg has gotten lost a little bit in that shuffle. And I think she's going to look to make a statement. So I think it could be a little bit of both. You know, a lot of fighters will go out there and hurt you on the feet, and then they'll seize the neck or go for some sort of an opportunity to submit you. Uh, I'm not a big fan of that, especially when I bet it and I have an under. You know, if you're rock, finish them for crying out loud. Just be more measured and surgical, you know, but I get it. They don't want to empty the tank. And uh, but I, I think both can possibly happen, but I think you'll definitely see uh, her explode against Arlene Blanco uh, at, at some point. Yeah, I think it's with all with all respect to Arlene Blanco, who's getting a second shot at the uh, at the featherweight title. It's hard to see a path to victory for her on 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 Saturday, but it's going. It's always interesting when Chris Cyborg fights. You know, she's she's just such a dominant athlete in the sport, and I still don't think she gets the credit she deserves. It's 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 really weird. I think they kind of played her off as like the uh, almost like the uh, the bad guy. You know, during the during the whole Ronda era, you know, there was a lot of comparisons yeah. there. And Ronda was the poster girl, and cyborg was the one getting getting the hate and um i always thought that was a little bit harsh but yeah you know i think i think she deserves all the credit that that she gets at this stage in her career and uh we will see what happens on saturday night it's a packed week as i say by the time you've uh picked this show up pfl will be in the books one championship will be hot on the hills on friday night on friday during the day bellator 278 friday night bellator 279 saturday night and then ufc also on Saturday night, very, very quickly, who wins the main event? Amanda Lemos versus Jessica Andrade. Is it the experience or is it the up-and-coming contender? What do you reckon? I'm going to give you a pick for Saturday night and throw in a bonus. I say uh, Andrade is going to win because she is just tough everywhere, honestly, on the ground, on the feet, seasoned at 35, 25, 15. I mean, you know, former champ. Can't say enough about her. Uh, Lemos is legit. Don't get me wrong, but I have to pick somebody. So her, and I'm gonna throw in a bonus. I think Clay Collard gets it done against Jeremy Stevens. I may mm -hmm. have turned in Stevens as my pick, and I wish I I switched it around. But I think uh, after talking so much about what happened to Verdum and all the guys um, earlier, I'm starting I'm starting to lean towards Clay Collard tonight. So I'm giving you a bonus there. How about that? What do you reckon, guys? I uh, I think Clay Collard is a good pick just because Jeremy Stevens is really wild. And I think the boxing that Clay Collard, his style, can kind of supersede that. Um, but as far as that main event, man, I've gone back and forth with that. And sometimes I feel like I, I hold the old guard a little bit too tight and I don't give these up-and-comers their respect. But I do feel like Jessica Andrade is just the more well-rounded fighter. And I think that's what's going to get her the W. So I'm going to stick with her. Yeah, I'm going with I'm going with the same because I just I just think you take a look at the body of work there's 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 more there there's more skins on the wall right and we've seen her proven at that top level it's Lemos's first main as well so we'll see how that goes for her as well particularly if it goes past that third round so well I don't think it will I think betting the under might be the way forward on that one but yeah it's going to be a packed weekend of fights and it's been good getting around the uh 
getting around the international coffee table with you and having a bit of a chat. It's been uh, it's been great having you on, and uh, hopefully we can make this a regular thing. Before we wrap up, let everybody know everywhere because you're all over the place these days. How everyone can keep up to date with absolutely everything you guys are doing, which is a lot. Okay, so um, Simon, uh, before you we wrap up, I also want to get a collared Stevens prediction out of you. But yes, you can catch us Mondays and Thursdays at MMA Junkie. That's where the show drops. Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or our home, which is Omni Podcasts. Sometimes we do it Sunday night, Wednesday night for early, early delivery, taking into consideration the UK, the European audience, the Oceania audience, getting it in their hands earlier. And then we've started doing a lot more video. That was one of the pros that came out of the con of not being a daily show on SiriusXM anymore is we started doing more work on video. So one of the ones that we're very proud of is our weekly uh, spinning back click franchise. Uh, you can get that at youtube.com forward slash MMA junkie video. And there's where you'll also see the full interviews that we, that we do with fighters because oftentimes we'll do interviews and they'll do video highlights from that interview along with the recap that we post on junkie. And you'll miss out on a lot of other fun, cool stuff that we, you know, unpack with the fighters sometimes just about their personal lives things going on with instagram so check us out at youtube.com forward slash mma junkie video i'm at mma junkie george goes is the goes on twitter and instagram man and it was it was great to be part of this international coming of forces i love the intro i even got chills when i saw those two powerful flags at the beginning man that was awesome there we go. Yeah, no, it's 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 great to be uh, it's great to be doing it with you. You want a prediction? I'm going with Cassius Clay Collard. I think I think it'll be late or it'll be on points. I think he'll he'll just jab him his way through the early rounds and either pick him apart late on or he'll get the judge's decision. But yeah, I'll, give me give me the boxer over the puncher. So I think he he'll just get... he just needs to watch those leg kicks because Stevens has added leg kicks to his repertoire. But I think if he can dance around those, his hands should be cleaner. Yeah, it's going to be a fun night. I'm looking forward to that. We've got so many fights to watch between now and the next time we talk. It's going to be it's going to be a, a busy old few days, so I'm looking forward to it. Thank you to everyone for checking this one out, and uh, you'll be able to catch some more from the Brit Pack. We've got a few more things up our sleeve that I'm working on, and uh, I'll bring those to you in the coming days and weeks. But for the first episode of the Brit Pack United Nations, thanks for checking us out, and we'll speak to you in a week's time. Mm-hmm.